Well, here we are again, episode nine. It's going to be a little different today. No guest student. We're instead talking to Dr. Tiffany Pelizzeri, a chemistry professor here at EIU. Chemistry is happening all around us and inside us. Processes we can't normally see that are on par with modern alchemist ideas. No, we can't necessarily turn lead into gold, but we have iron in our blood and our bodies came from star stuff, man. So without further ado, welcome to Let's Get to Know Each Other, a podcast hosted by me, Tanner DeVore, where I interview different students and professors as we share stories from our lives. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? Hi, Tanner. I don't know, like, what should we, should you call me Dr. Pelzeri? Oh, yeah, should I? Probably. Hi, Dr. Pelzeri. <laughs> Hello, Tanner. Thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So you are a professor at EIU, as we just established. Yes, so I am a faculty member in the chemistry and biochemistry department here at Eastern. So I teach, um, right now I am teaching general chemistry lecture, general chemistry one, and general chemistry one lab. And I also am teaching inorganic chemistry. And I run the X-ray diffractometer. So for doing single crystal X-ray diffraction. What is that? I kind of know. I kind of remember what Hannah was telling me, but. So in single crystal X-ray diffraction, essentially what you want to do is First of all, you need to crystallize something. So there's a lot of faculty in the department who, along with their research, they crystallize their products. So the nice thing about crystallography is it's the really the one method that can give you a picture of your compound at the atomic level. So you can see atom by atom what your structure is. So salt, for example is a crystal, right? So you Mm -hmm. could actually just take a piece of salt, collect data on that and solve the structure. So it's very simple because there's two atoms. But with the stuff that I'm working with, you're going to be getting a lot more atoms than two. (laughs) But you can assign those atoms and solve the structure. So you said it makes a picture. Mm -hmm. What's the picture look like? Is it is it like a graph or is it? No, it's actually like a picture. So you see like the atoms as little balls, Mm -hmm. essentially. And then you see the bonds between them. So you're not going to see, you're not going to see like the intricacies if you have like more than a single bond. But um, you will see a a picture. So if your structure has a ring, um, you will see a ring in it. And then basically you assign all of the atoms and you get an R value, which essentially tells you how well the data that I collected matches the model that I have solved for it. Okay, so you you take a crystal and you've got x-rays shooting at it and then that tells you what you're looking at so So, you don't know beforehand? Yeah, so the the crystal itself is made up of atoms, right? Mm -hmm. So atoms have electrons and atoms have protons. So essentially the x-rays are bouncing off the areas of electron density within the crystal and that gives you a pattern. So you have to collect like hundreds to thousands or I would say on the hundreds end or maybe a thousand images <laughs> um, from your crystal rotating and then just taking a bunch of these pictures, which you actually see in the diffraction pattern. You see a bunch of spots and those are areas of electron density within the crystal. So the computer program itself does all of the crazy math in order to take those spots and assign it to an atom. Um, and then you get a picture of that electron density within the crystal. And then as a chemist, I have to use my chemical intuition in knowing what was in the sample to assign the atoms. When you started going into chemistry or even when you started going into teaching was not the x-ray thing. That's XEC, right? Or is that different? 
No, that's different because that's, that's what that's what Hannah's doing with the Peebles, <laughs> yes. not with you. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> like I said earlier, I'm tired. No, you're fine. Um, okay, so did you start out with doing that though, with the crystallography? Was that what you originally wanted to get into or? So I didn't actually learn about crystallography until grad school. So my interest in chemistry really started in high school and a lot of it has to do with my chemistry teachers. And then I went to college. And again, a lot of my interests really stemmed from my teachers that I had for chemistry. So I already had an interest in chemistry going into college. So I, I knew I wanted to major in something science related. And I really, I really jived, I guess, with my chemistry professors. And I had the experience I had was at a primarily undergraduate institution like Eastern. And I basically felt like my professors really cared about me. It was open door policy, you know. Basically, there's one hall with all the chemistry professors, and there were study rooms along the hall. So that's where a lot of us majors would hang out. So we were able to go talk to professors if we had an issue. And it really became like a nice tight group knit of people, of us chem majors. Then I decided I want to go to grad school. In grad school, I learned about crystallography, and that's where I really became interested in it. So going into grad school, I thought I wanted to sort of go the more organic chemistry route. So working for a company, maybe a pharmaceutical company, because I had done an internship at a pharmaceutical company the summer before I went to grad school. But I sort of changed course (laughs) and uh, decided to work for someone that uh, was an inorganic chemist. And a large part of the research involved crystallizing different compounds and using crystallography to determine their structure. So that's sort of how I got into that. And my whole thesis for grad school was based off of my crystal structures that I solved, uh, the crystals that I synthesized. And then I went on to a postdoc. And in my postdoc, I did crystallography again. So I synthesized crystals, but this time in a different manner. So very high temperature, very high pressure, more for magnetic applications. So I still use crystallography to solve their structures, but they are just different types of structures. So I knew all along that I wanted to do something that involved crystallography, but I really actually had a lot of trouble figuring out what I wanted to do with my life as far after grad school. (laughs) So I really enjoy working with students and teaching, but I didn't know if that's something that I actually wanted to do originally. Yeah, I was going to ask how that came about. Yeah, so I came here. Um, because my husband got a job offer here. And it worked out really, really well that the department had a defractometer here that was not in use because a previous faculty member that did use it um, had left. So that, it feels like we're meant to be here just because everything sort of just fell into place. And I had to teach a course on crystallography as a part of my, um, sort of my contract. And I absolutely loved teaching. I think it was Maybe if you haven't taught before, it just seems like it's scary or it seems like this thing that's, can I really do this, you know? But I really have a very strong passion for teaching now. And it's, I really just want my students to know that I care. I know that probably sounds like a little, what does it sound Cliche like? or cheesy. I guess, I mean, yeah, it, it, maybe. But I guess it does, but it doesn't though. Yeah. Because like, you don't want a teacher that doesn't feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I guess I've also seen... Well, I guess that what it is, too, is just I want my students to have the experience like I had in undergrad because mm-hmm. I know how much I enjoyed that and how much it had an effect on me. So <laughs> I really want to make a difference. And uh, and I see that happening. And that's great. Like this semester, I really see it, especially teaching Gen Chem and stuff. I get students talking to me about how they know I'm always there for them. And that absolutely just 
is worth every all the work. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I love it. I love teaching so much. And I, I didn't picture myself here at this point, and I'm so glad that I'm here. So I'm, I'm sorry if you had mentioned this. So the, cat, the catalyst for um, becoming a teacher was that Mr. Pelizzari, your husband, doctor, well, you're both Dr. Pelizzari, though. The, yes, you can just say my husband. That's fine. Your husband. Yes. Sorry, Steve, Dr. Pozzeri. <laughs> um, it's just you're both doctor. No, you're so, fine. Um, <laughs> but, okay, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No, it's, I did it to myself. So, yeah, the, cat, the I think the catalyst for my teaching style oh, yeah. and the way that I teach is really from my undergrad experience. Okay. So, really having that experience when I was an undergrad that I could... I felt comfortable enough to go talk to my teachers if I had a problem, not only in the class, but maybe I wanted to talk about life. Right. And that's really what I want my students to feel comfortable doing, too. And I have seen that be happen this semester, which makes me feel good because I just I don't want to I want to I don't want to seem like I'm I want my students to feel comfortable to come talk to me about class stuff. And also, like, if they want advice or if they want, you know, want to talk about careers or anything like that, I want them to feel comfortable enough to come talk to me. And I'm happy to take the time to do that. What do you do to help them feel comfortable with that to where they can come to you for anything that they have a problem with? So in class, I constantly reiterate that students, that anyone can come to me for help. And as a part of class, especially Gen Chem, I like to have a lot of class participation and that surprisingly and wonderfully happens every class. So something else that I do. So the, the I try my best during the first week of class to get to know every student's name. Mm -hmm. So when they come through the door, I say good morning and I say their name. So I know who they are because mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And then like if I see someone struggling in class, I try to reach out after. So just developing that connection of just trying to talk, like get to know students and trying to reach out if there's something wrong or if you haven't come to class in a couple of days and you're normally in class, I reach out by like through email mm -hmm. just to make sure everything's okay. I think that just helps to develop a relationship where people, students, students understand that basically I'm there to help <laughs> and I want them to know that. <laughs> um, and it's, I think that it just through the semester, it sort of builds. And so I've had a, a couple of students come talk to me about, you know, like career choices. So, like, what should I do? What should I major in? And I just try and help uh, with that. I don't advise. I'm not an right. advisor. But I'm happy to help my students with, you know, talk things out. Because sometimes that's all you really need to do is you need someone to be a sounding board. Yeah. And sometimes then you sort of come to a conclusion yourself. Yes. How long do you see yourself at EIU? Because you I mean, guys, you've yeah. been here two years? Yeah. So, you've been here yeah. two years. I mean, I hope, like, till I retire. Right. Okay. So this is <laughs> this is career spot. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I know we're both really happy here, and um, the people are great. The students are really great, and I definitely want to be here. You know, till I retire. If yeah, you will have me, and I hope they will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> I don't see why not. All I hear is positive things. Oh well, thank you. Um, okay, so. Let's go a little bit further back than high school. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in upstate New York. So Glens Falls, New York, which is, it's basically an hour north of the capital, which is Albany. And it's about a half hour from 
Saratoga, New York, Saratoga Springs. That's where there's a big like racetrack. It's a big touristy town in the summer. And then also a half hour in another direction to Lake George, New York, which is also another big touristy area in the summer. So the Adirondack Mountain region. So mountains, lakes, a lot of stuff that no mountains here. <laughs> right. I've never seen a mountain in person. Never? Nope. Oh my god. Not yet. I want to though. Yes, you should definitely see it in to. person. I think we might be this summer. My family wants to go to Minnesota. Oh. I don't know. Are there mountains in Minnesota? I have no idea. I don't know. Either. I've never been to Minnesota. I just knew that it was cold. Yes. It's, it's more north. Yeah. Actually, there probably aren't mountains, though, because it's not really Yeah. I don't know. Coastal. It's still Midwest, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. It's been smushed by Canada. <laughs> um, what are you doing when you're growing up for mm. fun? Growing up, so I actually, I have um, twin cousins that are a year older than me, and then, and they're girls, and then we have another cousin that's a year older than them, also a girl. So we kind of grew up together, which was really great. So we spent a lot of summers, my grandma and grandpa, they had a camp on a, on a lake, a very small lake. So we spent a lot of summers going to going camp, go to going to camp, as we said, uh, as we would say, swimming, going in a boat, you know, like fun stuff, just on the water. Did they have like a campground or was it did they own like a summer camp? It was a house, but it was it was like okay. bare minimum. Like there was running water. Yeah. But there wasn't much else. I mean there was electricity. <laughs> I think there was a stove. <laughs> I don't know if anyone used the stove. Well, why would you? <laughs> exactly. You're in the woods. Uh use a grill outside. Yeah. And let's see. So when I was Real young, I used well not real young. When I so I I've always worked during summers from when I could start to work. So um, my first job was being like a camp counselor for a recreation program that the city of Glens Falls had. So that would be five days a week, I guess, just working with like hanging out with kids. So that was fun. And then when I got a little bit older, I managed an ice cream shop in Lake George. It's better money, um, not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> You managed an ice cream shop? Yes. What was it called? Oh, I don't want to tell you. Why? Don't put it in the thing. Okay. Because it was called And we had to wear t-shirts that said, I love I can't put it in. No. Could I bleep it? No. I can't bleep it? Okay. I'll consider, but right now I'm I won't, saying I won't, no. I won't. If you change your mind, you can let me know. But I, <laughs> for right now, I won't, I, won't, uh, I won't even bleep it. I'll just take it out. Okay. It's um, <laughs> fun. Funny, but hopefully demoralizing. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but very funny, though. Um, okay. So, managed an ice cream shop. And how old was that? Um, managing the ice cream shop? So, that was probably like, let's see, I did that through most of my college summers and probably like maybe one or two summers in um, high school, I guess. I don't really remember, to be honest. Yeah, it was probably like my, it's probably like the summer. Before my senior year, most likely in college or senior year in high school. And then after that, except I had one internship at Albany Molecular Research, which is AMRI. So that was working at a pharmaceutical for a summer. Was that the was that what you were doing before EIU? No. So before EIU, I was at a postdoc in Clemson. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. Right. So basically it was like so the, the pharmaceutical company was like a one summer internship. And that was between my. It was between my junior and senior year of college because actually my senior year, my fall semester, I studied abroad in Copenhagen. Okay. So in Denmark. Right. How was that? That was amazing. 
I would do it again in a heartbeat. I want to go back. Uh, I loved it so much. I actually considered doing my PhD in Denmark, but they didn't have a program at the time that was in English. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What were you doing there? So it was from, so it was August to December is when I was there. Um, So I was a part of, so I went to the DIS, which is the Danish Institute for Study Abroad. So it was a special school for people studying abroad. Um, So basically I was there with a lot of other American students. Uh, so we had actually classes as a part of DIS of, of the school. So I lived with a host family. I lived about like a 40-minute train ride from Copenhagen, actually. But the nice thing was that we got a, a train pass, um, you know, for the semester. Yeah. And I was able – I got an all-zone pass, so I could actually travel like anywhere in the zones around Copenhagen for free. Where a lot of my other friends Ooh. who maybe lived right in the city, they – only had like a zone one or a zone two so they'd have to pay if they wanted to travel further did you get the the one where you could go to all of the zones because you were outside of copenhagen so far away because i live so far away yeah okay because and that that just happened by chance yes it's just like so the host family i had they had hosted before and stuff so yeah it was just yeah there was someone else that actually lived in the next town over or right before me the town i lived in was called greistead so yeah (laughs) never heard of it (laughs) Um, surprising (laughs) so for yeah 40 minutes away that that kind of sucks yeah that's a good deal though but the thing is right the the second train let like stopped running before the first train did so if i was gonna like stay longer in the city it would be bad because i'd have to make sure i timed it right so there are a couple of times i did not time it right and you got stranded um well i had to take a taxi from the second so i mean it was kind of expensive yeah i don't really remember now how much (laughs) But um, actually, anytime I've taken like a taxi and uh, or had to take a taxi there, I would always get in a conversation about someone like the, I remember this one guy that was driving me. He had just been to California. So he was talking. We were talking like all about that. I've never been to California, actually, but I haven't either. <laughs> so it's just kind of fun. Danes are really nice. Like they and they will speak English to you if they know English. So that's really, really, really nice because then you can communicate a lot easier. Right. Yeah. I was curious, where else have you traveled? So when I was abroad um, in Copenhagen, I traveled to, I went to Barcelona. I went to Scotland or to Edinburgh, to London, to Paris, and is there anywhere else? So London, Paris, Edinburgh, Barcelona. Oh, in Rome, Italy. So Ooh. I actually took a class when I was um when I was in Copenhagen on Italy. So as a part of the class, there was a one-week travel with it. So in the middle of the semester, we had a three-week travel break. So the first week, you went with your um, sort of your core group. So I was in the biotechnology group. So we went to um, Edinburgh and London, and everything was planned for us, which was actually wonderful. Oh, um, nice. So every, like, all the meals and everything, and mm-hmm. it was just, like, nice and the hotels and stuff. And then um, – so the second week I went to Italy because of the class and it was amazing. We went to like Rome, we went to Pisa for a day and we went to Florence. Rome was my favorite. It was amazing. Why was it your favorite? Was it just the prettiest? It's just like you walk around the corner and there's like the Parthenon and then you walk around another corner and there's the Colosseum and like it's just it's surreal. Okay. There's just a lot. Yeah, it's just like there. surreal. Like you just see, just seeing everything. The Trevi Fountain is also just amazing. It's so beautiful. I'd like to go to Rome. Yes. I or just go back. Italy in general. Yeah. Is it you or Professor Treadwell that 
you guys are both kind of the head of ACS. Yeah, like, so we co-advise. We co-advise okay. ACS, yep. So do you want to go into a little bit of what ACS is? Yeah. Shout it out a little so bit. So ACS is the American Chemical Society. And here at Eastern, we have a student affiliates group. So we welcome anyone that would like to join. So you don't have to be a chem major. Um, it'd be nice if you have a little bit of interest in science. But anyone can join. So we do outreach. We do... Um, Service, I guess. Yeah. So service, outreach, um, professional development and social activities. So during a normal semester, um, we try and do like uh, bowling. We go bowling. <laughs> um, we have tr- we've done a trip to Argonne National Lab. Oh, up north. Yes. That's where my dad works. Yeah. Um, and let's see. There's been other trips. I know in the past there's been like a brewery trip. Um. Yes. So we do social activities. We also, um, I guess, a part of the chem department, normally um, we would have like a a picnic, sort of like a department picnic, which everyone from ACS is invited to. We sort of put it on once each semester. So that's in a normal semester. Um, And then, you know, we try and just do, we can do whatever we want. We just have to plan it, essentially. Right. So um, professional development. So we just had a Zoom panel that was all about different people that work in chemical industry. So we had a lot of EIU alumni. And actually, my cousin was also on the panel. So she um, got her bachelor's in chemistry from RIT. And then she went on to work in the chemical industry. So she sort of um, worked her way up the ladder. And she now runs a lab. So we had we had that. We also have had panels of faculty here talking about how Basically, their career development and how they chose their grad school, uh, things like that. Every semester or every year, excuse me, we also try to have a sort of a seminar slash discussion on applying to grad school, if that's something you're interested in doing. Um, And let's see, we also try to do some outreach stuff. So we have done donations for HOPE, which is um, it's a organization in Charleston. So we collected for them sort of supplies and things like that. We've also collected money for the Charleston Food Bank. Um, In the future, I really want to start doing some outreach activities with local schools. So I really want to try and get, or not try and get, but try and create more of an interest in chemistry among the younger generation. Because chemistry is really relevant to our everyday lives. And, you know, everything that we do involves chemistry. I mean, you drink water every day. Water is a chemical. It's mm-hmm. H2O. Um, so I just, it's it's a passion of mine to sort of have students understand the relevance of chemistry sort of in their everyday life. I was going to ask you what the coolest part of chemistry was for you. Would it be that uh, everything is chemistry? Or is there something else that is the coolest part? I mean, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, the a good answer would be sort of the fact that chemistry really is all around us. So everything involves a chemical of some type, right? So, I mean, ink on a calendar, that's a chemical. The colors and the pigments, those are chemicals, right? So, I mean, we are always interacting with chemicals and chemistry every day, but I don't think we understand that. We're not, maybe not we don't understand it, but we don't think about it. We're not it. conscious of You're it. You're not conscious of it, right. Yeah, day to day. So I don't like when chemistry has a stigma of being overly hard or, you know, something that no one can understand because I don't, that's not the case. And really just thinking about how much we interact with chemistry on a daily basis, I think that's something to really increase, hopefully, relevance in chemistry. 
which can hopefully increase, you know, students' understanding that they can do chemistry. They can be a scientist if they want to be a scientist. Uh, what's your, do you have a favorite element? <sighs> I think cobalt is my favorite. Um, it's beautiful. So it's, it makes purple. It's purple. So really, I love all transition metals because of their colors. <laughs> um, but I will, I will pick cobalt as my favorite. What's a transition metal? Are those like the metals they use for fireworks? So like cobalt, magnesium. Yeah. So cobalt, yeah. magnesium. Um, the basically, color ones. If you yeah, so a lot of them are colored. Not all of them, but if we if you look at a periodic table, you sort of see um, basically there's two big columns, and then there's that part in the center. So a lot of those elements that are in the center oh, yeah. are transition metals. So okay. magnesium, cobalt, copper, zinc, cadmium. Um, those are all transition metals. Molybdenum, vanadium. <laughs> If you want to do something cool, you can Google about uh, vanadium's color based on its oxidation state. And there's like you can find on YouTube, actually, like it can change oxidation states um, in a reaction by shaking it. So okay. that's pretty neat. So that you is neat. All different colors. What's that one metal that melts at a little bit above room temperature? Um. So there's... You can chew it like gum? Wait, chew it? Yeah, it's non-toxic and you can... Yeah, you can chew it like gum. I don't know what element you're talking about. Well, now I got it. Just pull out your phone. Because <laughs> I'm not... It exists. It's not a fake metal that I've made up. Uh, indium? What? You can chew on indium? Yeah, it's the only metal that you can chew like bubble gum. It's non-toxic and very soft. Oh, I did not know that. Should I have... Maybe I should have known that. I was going to ask why. How, how can it... How... <laughs> how can it be and how is it a metal but it's so squishy so i mean there are uh metals that are liquid so for example uh, mercury right yeah that's true so no, i feel stupid no, 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 no forgot about stupid. mercury um and then i think uh it's a germanium dang it i think it's germanium there's another metal like like it's sort of solid but then if you is it the one where you hold it in your hand yeah it becomes like liquid yeah i think it's germanium remember i think it is um so yeah but mercury obviously you don't want to hang around that no <laughs> that's why i forgot about it but yeah there are definitely metals that are liquid and tell me if i'm hanging on to it for too long but why oh god why can they be liquid <laughs> that's okay i can get back to you on that though yeah i mean personally so, i am curious yeah so let me think yeah, let's talk about something else and I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um, okay, so do you have any advice for somebody that likes science, likes chemistry, physics, any of them, but is terrible at math? Mm, okay. Because I took, my high school was weird. We had to take physics as freshmen. Mm, really? And I failed that. I didn't take physics till I was a senior in high school. I know. That's how it usually is, or at least junior. Yeah. But yeah, we were freshmen and then sophomores had to take chemistry and I think I got a C or a D and mm -hmm. then juniors had to take biology and I got an A or a B in that one. Yeah. I but I was bad at math. Bio first. Um, so math. This is what I like to tell my students. So in chemistry, a lot of ways you can think about the math, like think about it like a puzzle, because a lot of times it's stoichiometry that sort of hangs up students. Mm -hmm. But really what you're doing is you're combining, you're putting things together to get from A to B. But you probably have to do several steps to get from that A to B. So for example, if you're, you know, converting grams to moles. The moles got me the moles. in high school. So you can use molecular weight to convert between grams and moles. So if you have a gram amount of an item, 
So if you have five grams of something, say I have five grams of water, I want to look up the molecular weight of water, which is approximately 18 grams per mole. So the way I want to set that up is that my grams cancel and I keep my moles. So I try to tell my students like when they're setting these up, think of it like a puzzle. So set, get your information that you need and then set it up. I try to try to set it up first through words like, okay, so first I want to go first I have grams, then I want to go grams to moles. Okay. Sometimes it's longer. Maybe you want to convert to something else, but we'll just keep it simple for now. So once you know how the process that you figured out through thinking about the process, not through doing any math, Mm -hmm. then you sort of plug in. So I want to set up my conversion so that things that I don't want cancel and thing that the last thing I want stays. So I'm, manually cross out stuff and then I'm just left with my unit that I want. So a lot of the chem- the math like that can be done through trying to just think about it in a way that's different from math. Think about it like just setting it up like a puzzle and solving for what you need. Also another another thing I think that hangs students up is especially when you have a lot of say like a long problem. So if you have all your numbers written in, mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll try to put the whole thing in our calculator. And if there's one missed parenthesis or like one yeah. extra zero Screws or something, up. it's yeah, it you're going to get a different answer. So if you're going to do that and you feel confident in it, fine, you can do that. But you should check yourself and make sure you're getting the same answer. Another way you can do that is just to break it down into different parts, right? So mm-hmm. do each part separate and then go back and multiply everything. So do all your division then do your multiplication and do your addition or whatever. Um, you know, your normal order of operations based on what you're doing. Um, but that way, hopefully, that will help you there. And hopefully, you know, you have a, a teacher that was really willing to help you with the math and things like that. I can't remember who my chemistry teacher was. So probably not. I remember my high school chemistry teacher. I remember my high school biology teacher and my physics teacher. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember all of them. Yeah. I did this before. Um, I guessed one of my guests' uh, favorite colors. Mm. Oh, okay. Go so ahead. I'm going to guess your favorite color is a blue. Yes. What? I'm two, I'm two for two. How did you do that? I'm two for two because you like cobalt. But cobalt makes purple a lot. Yeah, but cobalt, when you like think about co- when I think about cobalt, yeah, it I also think makes blue. blue as well. It also makes orange. The cobalt five gum is blue. Oh, true. So I don't know. I'm impressed. Maybe it's two coincidences. Maybe. But I've gotten it right two times now. This is fun. I'm having a lot of fun, actually. Oh, good. She checks her watch. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay. So oh, I nailed that. Um, okay. We kind of touched on uh, places that you've been to. What's a place that you wish you could go to and why? Yeah, that's... Well, I really just want to go back to Europe, to be honest. It just... I want to go back to Denmark. I want to go back to Rome. That's the places I really want to revisit out of where I went. It's just such a different lifestyle. I mean, it's just so crazy. It's so, so different. But I mean, now I think it's hard anywhere. If, I, if I'm not thinking of COVID. Um. Yeah, no, if you're not thinking of COVID, I just mean like anywhere, yeah, yeah. anywhere you want to see. No pandemic, hmm. no cost of... So probably Europe. Um, and I definitely would want to go to other places in Italy. So I'm a quarter Italian and my husband is half Italian. Um, so I definitely want to go back to Italy and go to other places that, um, I haven't been. So my, my grand, great grandparents are from, came over here from Sicily. Actually, I have my great grandmother's wedding band. 
Oh, it's very pretty. Thank you. Um, and um, actually, my husband's parents, <laughs> great grandparents, are also from Sicily, which is kind of interesting. So we always joke like if our ancestors knew each other. Um, yeah, they hang out. <laughs> huh? They hang out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that actually, I doubt that happened. But interesting. Um, so that's, I would definitely want to go, it'd be really nice to go to Sicily and actually see where my ancestors are from and see where my husband's ancestors are from. Where else would I want to go? I mean, that's probably like, I would say my number one. I really also want to bring my parents to Italy. That's something, my parents have never been to Europe. And my dad is half Italian. Um, <laughs> my mom is sort of a mix of a lot of different things. I think I'm French, English, Irish, Italian. So I don't know. That comes from both of them. <laughs> um, so I'd really like to have them experience as well, like just Italy and being in Europe and just, you know, just have that experience because they have never traveled abroad. So if you grew up in New York, which generation are you? When did your family come over yeah. here? So and, my, did, and did they settle in New York or was that like a family thing where you, you guys moved later? So my great grandparents came over from Sicily. So I, as far as I know, I don't know if my grandma, this is all on my dad's side. I don't know if he, my grandma was born here or I'm assuming she was born here. So my dad grew up in like New York City for a lot of his life. So they're, they were from the New York City area. That's when they immigrated here. They were in New York City. And then I actually don't know what caused the move um, to sort of upstate New York. I know my, my grandpa, so he um, is more of the French and English, I believe, or something, or maybe he's more English. Um, he served in World War II. So he was actually a POW officer and um, they they moved to upstate New York. So I don't know exactly what caused that shift, that move. But then I do know my great grandma lived with my grandma and grandpa, like up to her, you know, up to her death. Um, I do. <laughs> I do remember hearing stories about like if my grandma was like boiling pasta water, my great grandma would come by and just like dump salt into it, you know, because you need salty water like the sea. Um, but apparently she wasn't supposed to have all that salt. But I do remember <laughs> things like that, or hearing those stories. But yeah. <laughs> just she turns around and he just dumps salt in it. That's funny. So we are at. We're at 347. So right before we go, because I know you have somewhere to be, is there anything that I touched on now that we've talked for a little bit that you might have thought of and I didn't get there mm -hmm. that you want to bring up or anything you want to say to any students that might be struggling near finals? Yeah. So I guess we are almost there, right? Two more yeah. weeks until the semester's over. It's really hard to believe that. And I know, I know for me, I'm going to miss my students. I always miss my class. Like after my class is over, I always miss it. But I'm looking forward to next semester. So next semester, I'll be teaching general chemistry two, general chemistry two lab 3025, which is like chemistry in your life course. Um, chemistry in your life. Yeah. So is that like so the all encompassing that. chemistry? It's like it's a um, it's an upper level course for non chem majors. Oh, OK. So you could actually take that if you wanted to. Well, we'll see. I want to try. I want to try to get my the classes <laughs> to, that I need to you graduate. You don't need to take it now, but I'm just saying right. you could eventually take it. But yeah, um, so that's more of it takes a more of a general approach in chemistry. So just sort of um, it doesn't go as deep as Gen Chem one. Towards the end of the course, you learn about like household chemicals and chemistry with food and a lot of different stuff like that. So it sort of 
does like an overview of a lot of chemistry, but it doesn't go like super as in depth as like Gen Chem 1 and Gen Chem 2 would go. So basically to students, I would want to say hang in there. And really, you know, you're down to the last two weeks. So I would say put all the effort in that you can to do as well as you can. Um, And definitely seek out help from your professors or from study groups or from tutoring or any of those options, right? So you're almost there, but it's you got to keep it up for the last couple of weeks to to get through everything. Um, And hopefully you have that support network out there that can help you do that. All right. Well, thank you, Tiffany. It was nice talking to you. Thank you. It's great talking to you. The song used in today's episode is Launch by Schmeckeldorf. That's S-H-M-E-C-K-L-E-D-O-R-F. Check him out on SoundCloud and follow him on Instagram. I'd like to again thank Dr. Pelizzeri for coming on today. If you have a story from your life that's important to you and wish to come on as a guest to share it, no matter what it is, email me at tmdevore at eiu.edu. And don't forget, if you could rate this podcast and leave a review, even if it's negative, that will help me a lot as I continue to try to perfect this weird thing that the newspaper is letting me do, which means higher quality episodes for you guys. And speaking of episodes, there will be a new one every Friday. Now go drink some water. You won't believe the shit your body does next.